Are you ready, guys? Episode 72. I'm back with Jocelyn and Kristen, and this is a good one. We're talking about a resilience again, but we're talking about resilience more specifically, which is uh, the power of words. How just a shift in one word can change your attitude, your perspective, your outlook. It can change how you affect the other person. Uh, I think we had a great conversation about words. And of course, we talked about other things also, because I always talk about other things also. But uh, I really liked this episode. I have always believed that um, the meaning, the actual meaning of a word has so much power not to use words flippantly. We talk about hyperbole. We talk about all kinds of stuff in this episode, but mostly it's the power of words. So thank you for showing up. If you're interested, check out McDermott Method for Kids. Uh, They're on Instagram at McDermott Method for Kids. They're McDermottMethodForKids.com. This is uh, Parenting to Build Resilience. And they also started releasing mini books on Instagram, which I think are amazing. They're they're so great. So definitely check them out. That is Kristen and Jocelyn's company. Thanks for showing up again this week. If you know anybody who could use the information in this episode, please share it because I think there's some real good stuff in here. All right, everybody enjoy number 72. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're avoiding me. I'm okay. So I was just telling the ladies I have, I'm recovering from a cold, so forgive my squeaky voice. But um, I was at a party Sunday, a crawfish boil. I love that. And I got cornered multiple times by women who have ordered your book yeah. and have told me that our podcast was like light bulb. Really? Uh, yes. One of the women is a therapist. Uh, license, well, a clinical licensed social worker. Yeah. Um, and she was like, I don't know how I missed the resilience piece in parenting. I just like never thought of it. It never really, that word never associated with parenting for me. And when I was listening to your podcast, a, a light bulb went off and I ordered the book right away. And I've decided I'm going to book club that book. It takes two minutes. Uh, with my children. I'm going to have them. I bought three copies. That makes me so I know, right? I was so excited. She said, so this is going to be part of their summer reading. They're going to read the books. And in July, we're going to get together and discuss the book. I was like, that's amazing. I loved it. so cool. (laughs) Isn't that so cool? I loved it so much. So I've been reading that book with my kids over dinner. And it's like a lead balloon. They're like... (laughs) You know, what was the the first one is, or one of them is, what's your superhero power? Oh, or yeah, yeah. And I was like, 
I like potatoes. <laughs> and I went, yeah, that's not what I'm trying to get at. I mean, like, what are you good at or, or that you're proud of? That I like potatoes. <laughs> and I was like... I have to say, I find that one really interesting because as an adult, that seems super easy. Yeah. Like the most innocuous one. Just like yeah. name a strength. And even with my own kids at a certain age, like in those 13, 14, those mm-hmm. ages when it's kind of hard to figure out who you are, mm-hmm. it's a big deal to name a strength. Like Because it just... I think it feels big to them. I think it feels like, ugh, is it braggy? Is it weird? Is it true? I just, I'm fascinated by how hard it can be to even own one. And then once you talk about it as the parent, and I said with my daughter recently, I was like, okay, so let me start. Like, if you're not willing to just start, I'll tell you what I think of you. And maybe you can pick one of those. And then that helped. And then she picked one, but still she was very shy about it. Isn't it funny? It's really interesting. Well, that I love potatoes was contagious because we're a house of yuck yucks. So, of course, then Bert was like, well, I think mine is obviously vodka. And I was like, dude, I'm trying to teach a lesson here. I'm trying to open our minds and parent, could you help me? And that just went completely downhill. And then I tried it again the next day and they did the same damn thing. So they're I mean, throwing me one on the one. Bus. Maybe maybe the group thing is too easy to get. Because that happens, right? When people get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. You want to just go to humor and deflect. <laughs> yes. So maybe the one-on-one. And maybe the... Jocelyn and I talk about all the time, the shoulder to shoulder, not looking mm, in the mm-hmm. eye. Oh. You know? Just like sometimes driving in the car, you're not looking at each other or whatever it is. You know, bake cooking together or whatever. And you can just kind of slip it in. But it's not so it's not so vulnerable for the kid when you're not like, tell me, ask me, what's your strength? You know, look me right in the eye and say. It's kind of easier when you... So interesting you say that because I've been accused of being intense. I don't know why, (laughs) because I do look at people in, I mean, I want to see, read what's happening for you. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think I emailed you this. I was at the orthodontist with Georgia and Isla and I was reading your book and she had the night before had this complete meltdown that she couldn't identify. I think I know what it was. It was coming down off of winning state softball championship and all this buildup of being in the playoffs forever. And she just came unraveled. She was just tired and all this intensity let go. And she was just sobbing over nothing. And she kept going, I I just want this to stop. And I don't understand what it is. And I kept saying, this is fine. You don't have to identify it. You can just ball your brains out. And that's it. And get it out of your body. It's probably just a lot of built up tension. It doesn't have to have a purpose or a reason other than just crying. So the next day we were at the orthodontist and your chapter about negative emotions came up. And I just handed it to her and said, would you just read this chapter for me, please? So she read it silently. And then she I I saw her go, huh, huh. She handed it back to me and I went, does that make sense? She said, makes a lot of sense. Thanks, mom. Shoulder to shoulder, yeah. no eye contact, yeah. no discussion. Just how about you read this mm-hmm. and just you process this on your own. So maybe you're right. Maybe some of it has to be done shoulder to shoulder. Right. Not and I also mom. think that just asking the question, like even if their response is, I like potatoes, just asking the question is good because it puts it in their mind. I mean, I don't think anybody asked me that question until I was in my 20s. And what yeah. a, you know, what a great thing to have thought about. When you're 12, 13, 14. That's probably true. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. And I bet they do think about it. I bet they're like, oh, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm good at softball or I'm 
good at art, whatever it is. And I do actually like potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually just kind of funny because if, if it came up, you know, if you actually kind of went with that as like, oh, well, you know, she, she likes potatoes. That's what she's really good at. Right. It would be, it would keep making them think. Like making her a thing. It's like, oh, is that what I really be known want to be known for is liking potatoes? Like right. maybe. Right, maybe. maybe. Do, but then maybe it will. And did you name what yours was? Yeah. I said that I'm really strong as a person. I've always been a really strong person. I have a lot of strength. That was my superhero strength. Yeah. Was that I'm really strong. And they just kind of, it fell very flat. <laughs> I was not playing the I love potato game. I love vodka. I don't remember what Georgia said. She said something goofy like that too. Probably like, I love the runaways, uh, you know, which is a TV show. But, um, but anyway, I just didn't want to go without saying that because I have heard from a lot of people that they love this book just walking around. People, I love this book. I've bought this book. So many people have bought it and are reading it that mm, I know thank personally. Thank you so much. Of course, I love it. I can't wait. And I'm book clubbing with Kathy and Kirsten, my book club team. We are book clubbing that book probably in July when I'm back from my trip. So, um, And Kirsten read it in one day <laughs> and then emailed me and was like, best book ever. I'm having my children read this book also and discussing with my kids. I love this book so much. So I'm excited to continue the conversation about that book. But that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> I just wanted to put that on record, right, for everybody who's yeah. listening. So you emailed me and said you'd like to talk about something more specific today, which I love, and that is your words, right? Mm-hmm. And what your words mean, I'm assuming, how they impact. I'm a big definer. I look up the meaning of words. I didn't grow up with a super fancy education, not college educated. I mean, I have some college education. I didn't graduate. But I feel like that's my fault if I don't know a word. I should, I should know what I'm saying. So I've always for years looked up a word to see what it means to make sure I'm using it properly because mm -hmm. it does matter mm -hmm. your words so tell me what you think about your words and resilience Wanna so start? Yeah. sure sure I should I should start off though by saying <clears throat> I'm not a therapist I'm a writer so <laughs> if I say anything that is incorrect you should jump in and correct me um <clears throat> when I think about the power of words <clears throat> um what I think about is the power that we have as parents to impact our children's paradigms through the words that we say and the power that we have just as individuals to impact our own behavior in sometimes in really small ways. There was Kristen <clears throat> told me about a study. Um, people who say people who are trying to lose weight, who say I can't eat carbs have less success than people who are trying to lose weight, who say I don't eat carbs. Interesting. So just changing the word can't to don't improves the likelihood that you're going to lose weight. Well, it makes it fascinating. It takes it from victim to choice, <clears throat> exactly. right? Yeah. Yep. From exactly. disempowerment to empowerment. That's really interesting. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, we talk a lot about how we can encourage kids to use words that are empowered and how we ourselves can use words that are empowered. And a big one is talking about the stories that you tell. And so, Kristen, you, you watch Chopped. You have a good example mm -hmm. from Chopped, mm -hmm. huh? Oh, what do you ever watch Chopped? No. Well, it's it's a cooking competition, mm -hmm. and they always interview the person who loses right as they're walking out the door. So it doesn't seem like there's time to prep or whatever. And a vast majority of the people say something that's really empowered. They'll say, 
I mean, I'm really bummed that I lost, but I felt like I put my best food up there. I feel good about what I did and I'm on to bigger and better cooking or whatever. And you just, it feels good. And then every once in a while, there's someone who's just like, I mean, I, I mine was just better. Like, I just don't understand why I lost. It's just not right. And you can just <laughs> feel how disempowering it is for that person. But on the other hand, it's just it, every time I watch Chopped, I'm like, I think that's so cool when someone walks away and turns it into an experience that was, I loved being here, even though I lost. It was right. great. It's just, you can just feel it. It's that simple glass half full, right? Mm-hmm. If you make your words, make your glass half full, even when things aren't great, like when you lose. Exactly. It's better for you. I mean, you don't go, you know, I was robbed, glass half full. You know, that's, right. that's not the same. But to look at something simple in life, you know, like I do this in traffic all the time. If someone cuts me off and I go, well, they're probably having a really bad day. That is not instead of you're a, a fucking asshole. Right. I say, oh, he's probably who knows? He may have an emergency. Who knows? He may have just been fired. So, you know what? It's OK. I get it. I have bad days, too. And I road rage, too, when I have a really bad day. So it's just taking something simple and making yourself not the victim. And it's really just a level of self-awareness. I think it's kind of easier to look at others and start to pay attention to, you know, who in your life feels good. And you'll notice that they tend to be positive with the things that they say. Mm. And you can also, you know, people in your life who just, gosh, every time you're around them, it's just yucky. There's just something, it's like complaining about something or it's gossiping about someone or whatever, but there's a lot of power there. And and then when you turn it on yourself and realize that that not only do it starts with the thoughts that you think, right? The thoughts that you think determine how you feel. You know, if you're just having like one of those like ruminating on just like you're not good enough or whatever it is, you're obviously going to not feel great about yourself and then you're you're going to act in a way that's not very empowered. But it's one thing to have those thoughts in your head, but when you say them out loud, then that's all anyone else knows about you in that moment also. Right. So it just affects everything in your life. It's how people are going to respond to you. And you can't always control the thoughts that are going on in your head, but you can keep your mouth shut. You cannot say right. it. Right. Or you can just take a pause and be be thoughtful about what you choose to say, because that's all I know about you is what you say to me. Right. It's a reframing. You can take a moment and reframe. Your first gut may be half glass, half empty. Mm-hmm. And then you go, okay, let me reframe this. And now I can speak glass half full. Yeah. That's kind of how you retrain your brain, isn't it? Yes. Right. Right. And I think that you can even do it with the big things like getting robbed. That sucks. That just sucks. Mm -hmm. But there are people who, man, I have some in my life who anytime something bad happens, they're like, and then of course this terrible thing (laughs) happened. Of course, then I got robbed. Right. Well, that's not a very empowered way of thinking about it. It's not good that you got robbed. That stinks, but it's not the world conspiring against you. And why would you put that out there that it is, you know, somehow everything bad happens to you? I agree with you totally. I mean, I got robbed in New York when I lived in New York. Uh, I got mugged and I walked around the corner to the police department, got in a police car, drove around the corner and went, there he is. And they arrested him. And I went, see, see how much power I have. <laughs> I arrested you, you asshole. Uh, you took my so $15 great. as I'm walking to the bus to go to work. So uh, yeah, you just, there's so many opportunities to empower yourself by your point of view, right? And, and the words you use. Yeah. And one of the things I think is super powerful is to ask other people, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you come across to them? You know, what words, what would they say about how you talk about yourself and your world? And you have to, 
be prepared to mm-hmm. hear what you may not want to hear. And and strangely, I had my three kids at dinner the other day, which is super rare, um, 21, 17 and 13, so that my oldest doesn't even live at home. And my oldest said to the 17 year old, he said, so wh- what do you think I need to know about how I come across to other people that I might not know? And it turned into this really amazing conversation that was so useful, because if you don't ask, you're just kind of going around in your bubble. And if you have people who care about you, who are helping you in a way of like, you know, like for one, it was just like, you know, you're really funny, but you don't let a lot of people see that mm-hmm. you and that's one of your best qualities. And you come across as much more shy than we think you are. What if we let that out? And right. it just it's just so helpful. And again, it just goes back to how you present yourself, the, your tone of voice, what you say, what topics you want to talk about with people. And it just sets the whole tone for how people think of who think of you. Tone right. of voice is such a good one too. to, you know, if you ask your kids, what does my tone of voice sound like? Boy, I think you're going to be surprised a lot of the time. Like I asked my yeah. kids that and a while ago and they gave me some feedback that I thought, oh, I, I, that's not what I want you to think of me. Don't want you yeah. to think that I'm irritated with you all of the time even though I am irritated with them all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know my, my kids think I'm always angry and I'm like, I'm the happiest person. Right. I know. I'm actually not angry. And I, I, I guess I have listened to that somewhat and somewhat I've explained it. I've said, how am I supposed to talk to you when you haven't checked your homework folder and you have a zero on your homework? Should I be like this? Oh, sweetie. That really stinks. No, I'm sorry. I'm irritated. So, and part of life is you grow up and adults are irritated with each other. So sometimes my irritation is appropriate, but I don't want that to be how I am every day. So I that I have listened and tried mm-hmm. to pay attention to when I go, I feel like I'm just really intense. And they read that as angry. So I try to figure out when I can lower my intensity so that they don't think I'm angry um, and and then just let my intensity go when they need to think I'm angry. Because in life, you get angry at each other. And, you know, I grew up thinking when someone gets angry at you, they leave. And that's not true. When someone gets angry at you, it's an opportunity to have a conversation and fix something, right? Uh, even if the conversation is with yourself, if you're, if I'm angry at Isla for not turning in her homework, then that's an opportunity for her to go, oh, maybe I should pay attention here. Mom's angry. Um, I don't think she does that. I think she goes, mom's such a jerk. But at some point that would be the lesson, right? If someone's angry at you to then go inward and say, well, what's my responsibility in this? I may not have a hundred percent responsibility, but I got something here. So what's mine and how do I adjust? Um, But I loved the can't and don't analogy. Is there another one you could think of as a parent? Because that was about adults dieting. Like as a parent, what would be a good example of changing something small to make a big impact, do you think? Well, so I think a big one for me is um, trying not to say no so often. You can still set the boundary and have the behavior not happen, but in a way that is... (sighs) a little more positive. So I, so I'll give you some examples. Okay. Um, can I watch TV? The answer is oftentimes no. Mm-hmm. Okay. But 
I think it's really helpful to say, oh, yeah, this weekend you can watch TV, (laughs) things like that. I really actually think that kids hear no so often and they get really defeated with that. And just changing that makes them not feel like constantly, you know, put down, I guess. But can you think of one? Well, I think one that's interesting that doesn't necessarily have to do with um, kids per se. So I'm not actually answering your question, but (laughs) have you ever thought about the, you know, when you change but to and? Mm -hmm. So I just think it's such a powerful thing to play around with Mm -hmm. because but is always like, I mean, yeah, I hear you kind of, but I disagree because I'm going to tell you something different and better. Right. But when it's and, it leaves space for, okay, that's true. And this is true. And it's just such an interesting thing in conversations when you do that because takes people off the defensive. It does. Yeah, the but and and. I always say anything after a but is a no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just negates what came before the but. Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've done that for years too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a great example. Mm-hmm. And something that Kristen does, I've noticed, is that if if you're talking to somebody and you have a different point of view, you don't normally say, I disagree. You'll say something like, I have something to add to that, mm. which I think is so empowering. I love that. I try to do that. I mean, because I think there is so many times, especially in talking about stuff like this, it's not that there's a right or wrong. Everyone gets to have their own way of being in the world and parenting and all those things. It's just uh, it's just getting more perspectives and adding stuff to your repertoire instead of thinking like, oh, I have to throw everything out. I do. And I find that I mean, yeah, I sit around and think of this stuff all day long. But some of the best things I learn come from people who are just out there doing it. They don't, they're right. not therapists. They're not thinking about it, but they right. just have fantastic ideas. And Right. Yeah. That and but is a really good one. You mm-hmm. know, a different one, another one too that I uh, learned in dealing with my mom is um, instead of saying, you didn't do your chores to say, I am concerned perhaps that you haven't done your chores. Have you checked your chores? I'm worried or I to own the, the problem instead of the pushing the blame. Does that make sense? That, I mean, that's really good. I mean, that gets down to just basic communication stuff, whereas right. it's so much easier for someone to hear in conflict instead of if you don't say you, you, you in a mm-hmm. blaming way, mm-hmm. if you just talk from your side of the equation mm-hmm. or like even when if you're giving feedback to someone If you ask first, you know, hey, are you open to some feedback, whether it's your kid or your spouse or someone you work with, and then try to pose it just like you said, you know, I've noticed a pattern of being late instead of saying, you know, you're just always late, but I've noticed a pattern of being late and there's no you in there. It's just about this other thing. You know, what's that about? Can you tell me what that's about? Is there anything, is there anything important there? Is it, what does it mean? You know, it's just, just what you're talking about, just to try to make it about the issue instead of about the person. Right. Yeah. That I and you thing was a game changer for me with uh, life in general. Because no one in school says, hey, let me tell you how to communicate. You ready? No. That nobody, nobody gets that lesson. You either have to have it modeled for you in some fashion, or you have to read a book and figure it out or figure it out somehow. Most people don't figure that out. And I find... When I hear a lot of even couples who talk about how they argue, there's so much, well, you didn't take out the garbage and you didn't do this and you weren't listening and you, and I think it's just so simple to go, I don't feel heard. Mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, I, I was relying on you to take out the garbage because, you know, you'd told me that you would. So I, I was a little disappointed or I, you know, it made me late. So 
I just need you to know that, you know, all that is, uh, this is what I need. And it's a self-care in a certain way, instead of, again, it's that victim empowerment kind of, uh, I don't know, situation where to point the finger and say, you, 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 well, now I'm the victim because you've done it to me. But for me to say, I was, I was hoping this would happen, then I own that. So I'm no longer the victim. It belongs to me. So in parenting, I think that would be good as well, right? Yeah. And I think one, in eliminating conflict, it's helpful in reducing conflict or at least reducing the tension in the conflict. But I also always think about how much kids mirror our behavior. Mm -hmm. So if I'm making demands at my kids all the time, you go do this, you go do this, you did this, then there's no reason for me to think that they're going to talk to me in any way other than that. Right. And so I try really hard. I fail a lot, but I try really hard to make sure that I'm talking to them in the same way that I want them to talk to other people, the way that I want them to grow up and talk to, you know, their colleagues. Mm -hmm. And also to do what you were saying earlier, um, um, I've noticed that you're all, you're, you've been late a lot lately. What do you think that's about? Instead of saying, you know. Like, I know it's bad, yeah. but it's like, be curious about yeah. it. Why do you think that's yeah. happening? To let them come up with a decision or come up with a, an answer. Because, because it is a choice. Yes. So, yeah, when you want to hear what that's about. Yeah, what's the choice? And I always like to th- say, how do you think that affects other people? You know, with a choice, with something like being late. How does that affect other people? What do you think other people think when you're always late? And then, you know, because kids are super narcissistic because that's what they should be is all about themselves. Maybe narcissistic is a strong word, but they're, they, they live in their own little bubble, mm-hmm. right? So I think we have to, as parents, inspire them to think outside their bubble and say, well, if you're late, then what happens to the rest of the group? Everybody's waiting on you. Are they nervous? Are they are they behind? Can they start without you? Do they have to catch you up? What? How does that affect everyone else? Because they don't think that way naturally. And what do they think of you if you're always late? And that that was leading to, for some reason, my brain was going to the place <laughs> of like, you know how families, we kind of, you sort of have those family stories that everyone tells. It's like, well, you're always late and you can mm-hmm. never decide what to eat for dinner. And, and I think... <laughs> That's kind of another part of this, you know, the power of words is we can you can label people as certain things and Mm. they you get kind of stuck there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's like really interesting to get kids to be aware of how the stories they tell about themselves. Mm. But also, what do we do to you in this family to kind of keep you pigeonholed? Like I noticed that my oldest son was just not a great brother. He just wasn't super nice to his brother. But my middle son is really nice to his sister. And I just started early on saying, you're such a good brother to my middle son. And he kind of had to be after that. I mean, I did Ah. it because he was, but now I realize Ah. that. And it, I noticed that like he thinks of himself and I mean, I, maybe I could have tried to do that early on with the first one, but I didn't, you know, but it's just fascinating. It really has power. If you are the good brother, you're not just going to turn into the bad brother. That's true. (laughs) You know? Yeah, that That's one I think is a big one too because kids, I mean, naturally siblings fight and parents start saying, my kids fight all the time. They don't get along. And then the kids hear that all mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I think that the amount of fighting that goes on is totally normal. It's within the oh, range yeah. of this is just living with other people. Yeah, And you're not being a bad sibling, but then you hear your parents say it over and over again. And 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm so tired of hearing you fight. You know? Yes. Yeah. Oh, could you just have one day where you're not fighting? Please. And then you're, you know, how that affects them. Yeah. Um, I mean, people, I think, t- talk a lot about how often we coddle children. And I think in some ways that's really true. But finding the times when they're behaving the way that you want to them to behave and commenting on that and thanking them is so important because I think for the most part, they get the reprimands and they don't get the, oh, wow, thank you. Thank you for, you know, being kind to your brother, helping your brother, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with that with my co-parent. My <laughs> co-parent would discipline, oh, I don't know, never. And <laughs> I am like, you're setting them up for failure if you don't have some healthy boundaries and some rules in this house as a really big struggle because I feel like I'm always the reprimander and the bad cop and he always gets to be the good cop but the the reprimanding I try to balance it with some very mostly I shouldn't say some mostly very rational very calm very productive but sometimes I do make the choice to go all right this is done we are stopping this now and become that person because they're going to deal with that person in life. And I find sometimes being too PC about your parenting is not good. Or in my, this is my opinion. I am not a therapist either. But in my opinion, if you're too PC, then you're setting them up for failure in a certain way because then you send them off to college with a college professor who goes, I don't give a shit what you're saying is a no. And they've never heard that before, so then they can fall apart. At, I mean, that's just my own thoughts. I don't even know if that's really true, but... Well, I tend to agree with you, also not a therapist. I tend to agree with you, but um, I think that you can be really firm in your boundaries, mm-hmm. but also positive and polite in your words. And yes. so, you know, I think that oftentimes people look at parents who are being polite and calm and positive in their words, and they're saying... That parent is coddling that child. Right. But I don't, I have a quite a few people in my life who I see really set firm boundaries and never lose their temper and never, you know, I shouldn't say never, rarely lose their temper and mm. are usually able to talk to their kids in really polite tones. Mm-hmm. So I wonder though, I wonder just out of <clears throat> curiosity, not that I'm suggesting anyone should, you know, yell and scream at their kids or anything. I don't think I yell and scream at my kids, um, but I just wonder about that. I wonder, you know, I grew up, I got spanked, I got yelled at, I got, um, you know, which was too much. Um, but is there some like healthy step under that that is like, I get to get angry at you as well because we live together and I'm angry at you and not be un healthy or unhinged in any way, but still be appropriately angry and not necessarily in an adult way, more in a parent way. You know, like I was talking about before, an adult and a child, Mm -hmm. a a parent, a child and an adult to be a Mm -hmm. parent and be punitive in a certain way, not harmfully punitive, but punitive just the same. Does that make sense? So you're saying like, do that, do you know, do kids ultimately need Mm. like the firm boundaries and to be held accountable to kind of the highest standards as opposed to just having someone who's 
more just wants to be a friend and doesn't want to ever have to be the disciplinarian kind of or sort of but like hey sometimes Bert and I never defame character we never name call we we don't curse at each other when we fight but sometimes we yell yeah it doesn't happen all the time but sometimes I'm like you're being really difficult you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my point is sometimes I do that to my kids and go, I have had enough of you people where I'm not that calm parent who goes, you know, I'm really, I'm really done today. And I'm respectfully saying to you. I don't think anybody can do that. Okay, okay, okay. Nobody can do that. Good. No. And I don't think, I, I mean, I yell at my children. I have lost my temper. I have said things to them that I regret for sure. But the general, I guess, the general attitude that I try to have is to, you know, pull back from that and let that be the exception. Right. And yes, it, exactly. But yeah. for, it's impossible to never lose your temper with a impossible. human being. Right, right, right. And yeah. it's also, I, I think your question is, is it healthy for kids to sometimes see mom That's and right. dad lose their temper? I think so, but I... But or to have as, mom and dad lose their temper with them. Yeah. Not yeah. just with other adults, but with them. But with it's the human. And how to yes. work through that, how to get through it and right. work through it and come out the other side of it. That's just a part of life. And, yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, own what you've done and apologize if you need to apologize and really then model for your kids what you would want them to do if they lost their temper. Right. And, you know, cleaning that up if you need to. Well, you know, folks I grew up with in the rural South, I think uh, tend to yell probably mm-hmm. more than others. And I don't necessarily want people to, I, exactly what you were saying before, to add something to your basket, to not feel like, well, I'm a shit parent. Right. Anybody who's listening right. yeah. to not think, oh, I'm a terrible parent because I lose my temper all the time. Okay, so guess what? Today, you can add something new to your basket. Perhaps I should do that occasionally when necessary and instead add something else which is but if it's a, if it's something that's a pattern i mean i think there is an interesting thing for those triggers i don't remember if we talked about that last time we or not should, but though. but the, like a, a trigger if it's something that you just find yourself like this happened to me when my oldest was like nine ten i just found myself like it seemed like I was overreacting. You know, like, why mm. would I get so mad at this person who I loved more than anyone ever in the whole wide world yeah. would make me madder than I've ever been? And then I needed to do what you said earlier is like, look at what is it about me? Like, what's going on with me? Because it's right. not him. He's just this sweet little, I mean, he can be super annoying and he's yeah. being a brat, but yeah. but what's going on with me? Right. I think that there is a time for looking within at something. There's something bigger than what's going on there that you are that you're doing where you're taking it to mean something about you that it l- deserves to be examined. That or it could be uh, repeating what was modeled for you. If you were yelled at for every single thing and you find yourself yelling at for every single thing, perhaps it's a moment to go, hold on, I'm repeating a pattern I don't really want to repeat. So how do I, I think sometimes when you grow up with uh, a bad roadmap, it's hard to rewrite that roadmap without a lot of conscious effort. It's just that. It's just getting conscious of it. And that, like getting, yeah, yeah. Consciousness yeah. And, and being aware. But until you have that moment, you're just going to repeat it over and, and over again. And you can't do something like that. It's kind of tough to do on your own, I think. Like, to me, that requires, it doesn't have to be a therapist, a professional, but someone who's sat and thought about this stuff before like what it could be a good friend or whatever but someone who's going to help you see because those are blind spots those are those things that 
that are those unconscious things that just they need to come out into the light. But it's really hard to do that on your own without another person to help you. Because it's a whole paradigm for life. That's what you think the world is. So there's it's hard to see the world as anything else. To step outside that paradigm and then create a whole new paradigm from no experience. Exactly. It's like you have to relearn, rethink about that, re kind of wire your brain around that. Right. That's a whole interesting conversation about examining beliefs, though, because I think once you start doing it, then there's like just this cycle of all of these things that kind of unravel. I once once I met Kristen and started doing this, I will tell you that on a daily basis, I'm like, oh, hey, what's that about? It's the <laughs> most, it is the so most cool. powerful thing. It really is. To I mean, start looking at like, okay, wait, if there's something driving this behavior, like especially a big thing, like you're saying, like yelling at your kid, not when they're, when it's something yeah, yeah, basic, yeah. but, and when it's all these light bulbs go off, if you really start to do it, it's so empowering it just feels so good to realize like oh my gosh I've been doing that since childhood because I used to be afraid of this and so I needed to kind of be hyper vigilant and so it looks like anger I mean I'm just it's hard to do unless we really get into it it requires a whole a whole time for us to sit here and do that really like a whole session but we can um, do that (laughs) but it's just so fun and freeing to realize like oh I don't that doesn't serve me anymore. I don't have to actually believe that anymore just because right. my mom believed it or whatever. I, I mean, it's so I cool. think it starts off being not freeing. It's kind of difficult. Well, it's like it's terrifying and you're like, oh crap. But then there comes, there does come a time when you're like, oh, that's what that's about. Okay, I can change that. And then, yeah, that's when it gets fun. Mm-hmm. You know what? Mm-hmm. Something I talked about this last episode I did, la- the last one I did was with Kathy and Rebecca. They are both living with aging parents. And we started talking about their value system and how, how, um, has nothing to do with aging parents, but I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes I get off topic. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I was talking about making sure that things line up with your value system. And that has to do with how you treat your kids also. What's your, something as I, for me anyway, because, I had a bad paradigm that I, I read a book about paradigms when I was young and I went, oh, hold on. You can change your paradigm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm doing that because this paradigm sucks. So I'm going to step out and figure out what my new paradigm is. Uh, And it was really hard. But one thing that helped me was clearly identifying my values, what was important to me. So is it important to me to... um, what kind of parent goes in that value system? What what um, traits, perhaps, do I want to embody? And, and how is that part of my value system? And I think when you get to that core place, it makes it easier to identify the behaviors that are happening, you know, like the noise type behaviors that are happening. And you go, oh, wait, that doesn't line up. So I need to like stop doing that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and replace that with something that does line up with that value system. Um, And it's not always an immediate thing. mm -hmm. But I think we started this whole thing talking about, you know, the words that you choose. And I think when you are conscious of, okay, I'm going to make a change, but it's not going to maybe happen tomorrow. But you can verbalize that, you know, then you can say that to your kids, you know, I'm, I've decided that I don't actually like how much I yell. But this is going to (laughs) be this is something I've been doing for a long time. So I'm going to make an effort because, but, and then just have the conversation, like allow them to be, I'm not saying that's something, you know, that's like a whole random thing we were talking about, about whether or not you want to yell. But the point is to just like make it so it's something you can talk about because it's so right. empowering, especially for kids to hear that 
it is a process and you got you think about these things and if you're going to change behavior it, you may have to try it a bunch of times but that's okay because in your head you're on the path as long as you're getting help from the people who are kind of experiencing it with you and just being transparent about it right well words are really powerful in changing your world and they they really are because like you said how what you say about what's happening it it, it kind of changes your world yeah and Kristen said to me recently something about how you can really tell you can measure how resilient a kid is by the words that come out of their mouth after they've lost a game and uh-huh. and that is so true it's you know I think there's some amount of oh the coach did this that probably goes along with totally. you know every kid but do they come back quickly? Do they ruminate? Do they, you know, are they able to go, well, I did this really well. And next week I'm going to work on this. Mm-hmm. Or do they just sit there and go, the coach screwed up? Or they do they fall apart totally? Yeah. I am I suck. I'm terrible. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, yeah. those stories, it's like, if, if you just suck and you're terrible, that's one thing. Or are you going to use it and be like, right. okay, well, I want to get better. I'm not as good as I want to be. I want to get better. I mean, there's that's the thing is like, what are the, what are the main stories that your kids tell about themselves? Right. Is just, are they mostly like the growth mindset kind of thing where I know that if I work hard, I'll get better? Mm-hmm. Or is it, well, this is how I, I'm not that smart. I'm not good at math. I'm, I'm funny. Um, whatever it is, it's really a powerful thing. It goes back to what we started with, which, which is strengths. Right. You know, do you do you tell stories of your strengths or do you tell stories of your weaknesses? You know what? I ask my kids, I want to make sure they don't say, um, what did I do wrong? I want them to say, where can I learn? Mm-hmm. How oh, can great. I learn? Instead of what did I do wrong? Because that implies you did something wrong. Well, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you just you missed a ball. You missed a fly ball in your game. Is that wrong? Not necessarily. It, maybe you just couldn't get there. Maybe you just weren't fast enough. Maybe it was hit too hard. So what can I learn from that instead of what did I do wrong? Did um, you read Mindset by Carol Dweck? No. That's a good one. Is it? That's a good one. You might want a book club. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of words, um, I found myself in a time of parenting where I had less patience than normal. I don't know why. I don't remember what was going on in life. I do remember now what was going on in life. Uh, There was some intense stuff going on with Bert and his travel and his work that was very stressful. And I came up with a safe word for my kids, speaking of words. So when I needed space, my name was Myrtle. This and I would is say, so great. I love this. And I would say, okay, Myrtle's here. And they'd go, got it. And they'd all separate and leave me alone for a minute. So it it was a word that made me laugh because who wants to, I mean, sorry if anybody's named Myrtle, <laughs> but I was like, I would not want Myrtle to be my name, but Myrtle makes me laugh. I love that name. You can't, it's, also, it's so you can't fun be Myrtle and mad. Like you can't, you can't be Myrtle and mad. mad. That's You're so exactly, sweet if your name is Myrtle. That's what I thought to myself. I need a name that makes me giggle every time I say it. So I came up with Myrtle and it helped so much because I explained to them. I was like, listen, I, I just sometimes I can't deal with what's happening. So I don't want you to feel like you're doing anything wrong. I can't deal. So here's our safe word. It's <laughs> so great. I'm Myrtle. <laughs> and they totally got it. And they'd give me space. It was awesome. Well, that just makes me think too of when 
when you you were talking about like reframing mm-hmm. and i think the a really powerful thing to remember is when you're really in an emotion when you're just in it swept away in it and you just kind of are that emotion mm-hmm. you don't really have access to reframing no I mean, you which don't. is human we just don't like you because you know your thoughts and your emotions always match mm-hmm. so if you're feeling really a really strong emotion that's negative uh-huh. you're just going to have negative thoughts you're not even going to have access to better thoughts until you allow your emotions to like rise back up a little bit so the time to try to change your thoughts and reframe is not then that's the time to just call time out for be yourself myrtle. Yep. be myrtle <laughs> walk away and then later on when you are calm go back and do that work. Like, right. you know, what What was that about? Well, how could, is there, there's gotta be a better way to be thinking of that. Like I didn't need to, and then then it will have power the next time. Right. But I think um, if for anything, even for our kids or whatever, to allow them to just push pause and walk away mm-hmm. and not try to get through it when everyone's heated. Right. There's just so much power in that because it's just hard. You just can't. No, yeah, you're right. It's too intense. Mm-hmm. Your emotions are very real. Sometimes though, you know, in that, Coddling of the American Mind book, he mm-hmm. described like um, your logical brain is like the writer and the emotional, illogical brain is an elephant. And the writer really can control the elephant, but sometimes the elephant mm-hmm. just takes off and you're just, you just got to ride that elephant till he's calmed down mm-hmm. and then you can get it back under control. I use that analogy with my kids all the time. Right now, the elephant's in charge, but we can't let the elephant be in charge all the time. If the elephant were in charge all the time, you'd be a complete victim to your own emotions and you, you can control them just like a writer can control the elephant, you know, and it's good good for your kids to know what, what does it, what, what is it that you do that then allows you to get those emotions under control? So a lot of times it's music for Mm. kids and adults, Mm -hmm. just, you know, just go and just do that. Do something that doesn't, you're not thinking anymore. Right. You're just, just doing something that, I mean, a lot of times it's moving your body, going for a walk, going for a run, you know, looking at something beautiful. If you happen to live somewhere beautiful, you know, going outside, but it's important to just know that these are the things that I do. And most kids can answer that question. Like, what do you do if you just are feeling really bad and you want to feel better? They'll have an answer. Right. And I think that a good thing, a strategy that I use when my kids are spiraling and, you know, and like for whatever reason, I need to contain the situation is to just get them walking. I just say, okay, come, let's talk about this while we walk. And I let them, you know, do all of the talking and venting. And I mean, usually a block or two in, they're more able to get control of their emotions. And that's, again, the shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Face to face. And something that I learned was that in the heat of the moment, when my kids are really pissed off about something or melting down or sad or whatever, oftentimes I would come in and try to like parent that and talk about it. So they're the elephant and I'm trying to be the writer. Mm -hmm. But really, I just need to let them be the elephant and then follow up later. Because that's where I think sometimes I would try to resolve it and then their emotion would calm down and I would think, okay, now I don't need to deal with this. But really that was when I needed to, Mm -hmm. that was when the more powerful conversation was going to come into play was after the emotions had subsided and I could say, okay, let's, let's like, you know, talk about what happened a little bit. But you know, it's, it's like in a marriage, I remember this with when my husband and I first did couples counseling and, and you think it's easy to think, well, now things are better. We feel better. We're not yeah. in that anymore. So who wants to dredge that up? Like right. we don't want to go back into that. So it's easy to just avoid those things. But if you consciously, you know, if you have a conversation and say, 
we are going to go back in not to restart it, but just to be curious about it. Like, let's wait till we actually have it. We can both feel good enough to do that without getting all re-triggered. That's where all the power is. But it totally makes sense to not ever want to do it. Totally. (laughs) And I think when you go in that moment to have the intention of validating, right? Yes. To validate with your words what happened or how they're feeling. I know my kids, I'm a I'm a I'm a writer of the elephant a lot of the time. Um, And my kids have told my husband, mom doesn't understand or mom doesn't understand how I'm feeling. And I thought, oh, it's because I'm not validating their feelings. I'm not saying I understand why you'd be upset. That com- makes complete sense to me. And and it's okay to be upset. And those things are completely healthy. That's just that's all people want. It's just to be heard. Want. That's <laughs> all they want. Yeah. And then say next time, what could we do differently? Mm-hmm. But to make sure, first thing you do is to validate, not next time and then validate because they don't hear the next time that's right they have to hear the i understand i see you i hear you i understand you well yeah and we talked about that a little bit the last time about just getting on their side right before you that's right mm -hmm. before you try to you know figure out what's going on there and maybe correct some behavior figure out some way that you can be really be with them and validate them. Yeah. And there's it, power in asking too. Like, hey, do you, are you, do you want to talk about this? Yeah. Like, because we don't have to now, but do you, I have something to say, but I, I can wait till you are ready to talk about right. it. Because then you've given them some bit of control. Yeah. Man, getting buy-in is huge from your kids. That getting what? Buy-in. Like buy-in? getting them to buy-in. Like oh, buy-in, getting them to buy-in? Buy-in, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had this conversation with my daughter just about math, about she's, she actually does pretty well in math, but she could be doing a little bit better. And I talked to her about, do you want to do this over the summer? And at first she was like, no, I'm not doing math over the summer. And I said, you know, you could go into fifth grade, like really feeling like you could knock this out of the park and understanding everything the teacher was saying and being one step ahead. Are you sure you don't want to do it? And she's like, oh yeah, I think I want to do it. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see you when summer rolls around. Yeah, right. She's really yeah, willing to do that. <laughs> uh, I've not gotten Isla to buy into school yet. Did we talk about the good enough mother last time? Just no, but I've been it's thinking about my favorite this concept. Though. We did it. No, we I, didn't. I don't remember talking so about I think it's my favorite concept from all of psychology is the idea of the good enough mother. Yeah. That it's actually better to just be good enough. Like if you're the perfect mother, your children never have any adversity. Mm. Right? But to be good enough, you're solid, your kids know that you love them and like it's bumpy. Sometimes your mom yells at you. Sometimes just stuff happens. You're not going in front of them and clearing everything out of their path. Right. So that they're experiencing adversity and realizing that, oh, I, I can make it through that and oh, like it's just it's just takes the pressure off of being perfect because perfectionism is a awful thing anyway it's a curse it's a curse imagine having a perfect parent how awful you would feel in your flaws right (laughs) right you would feel so awful but if you have a parent that i love this concept too when you told me about the good enough parent i let myself off the hook for so many things (laughs) (laughs) started drinking no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) at noon (laughs) um but i what was i gonna say oh um nope i don't have it 
Well, I think that is a good point. I don't think we let ourselves off the hook enough. I don't know what it is about our generation, but we are such overachievers and such type A. Most people, I think, in our generation are so about doing everything and doing it all well. I mean, even just to think about Georgia's softball, right? Six days a week. Is that necessary? The people who are setting that schedule are my age. It's not the teenagers going, yeah, I I, I vote six right. days a week. Mm-hmm. It's my age that's saying, nope, six days a week. We're going to do two days batting practice, four days practice blah, blah, for seven months straight where you're like, is this really necessary? Isn't it? I've said this all year. Isn't it good enough just to have one day batting practice, two days practice, and then have a freaking life? Have some balance? Mm -hmm. But I think something about our generation is intense with everything. And maybe, and in a lot of ways, that's really good. Uh, It's good to be immersive and intense in some things, but to have some kind of balance and to say, this is, I have this conversation, I find myself, (laughs) Isla goes to a public school. And she has an IEP and she is dyslexic. And we left a very high achieving elementary school where you were either a high achieving A student or a failure. And even though they had good services there and I thought, but I want her in her peer group. Her intellect is the same as those kids. She just doesn't learn the same. So I wanted her in that peer group of you're as intelligent as everybody else here. But by fifth grade, she really felt bad about herself. So I thought to myself, well, I know middle school is about social. Middle school, their number one focus is friendships and social. So I need to make sure where I put her, that is her number one focus. And she can achieve there. The learning will happen. It'll happen. Um, She's probably not going to be a doctor. She's probably going to be an artist or something like that. So I don't know that she needs to be in the highly gifted program because that's not who she is. But I find myself, um, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but I find myself justifying my decisions to my friends who have typical learners who would never accept what I accept in this public school, which is very little homework. She doesn't have finals. <laughs> and I part of me goes, am I setting her up for failure in high school? But she started a club. She's super popular. She's on the yearbook uh, committee and has learned so much from that. Almost all of her friends are in the highly gifted program. She's just not in the highly gifted program because she can't run at that pace. But I do find myself making excuses for my decision making because I think this school is good enough. For what she needs mm-hmm. is good enough to put her in a place. There's a place here locally that just deals with dyslexic kids. It's four kids in a classroom. She would die in yeah, that environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She would think worse of herself in that environment. So to me, I'd rather have her leave high school with who she is intact and her self-esteem intact. And I, I don't know a whole lot of people who write essays as adults unless you're in a certain <laughs> well, Jocelyn field, but I she's do, but. never going to be a writer. Yeah. You know, she may yeah. be an illustrator. Um, she may be a verbal storyteller like her dad, but she's not going to sit down and write books. So it, it's an it, the good enough parenting is why I started talking mm-hmm, about that, mm-hmm. is that I feel like it's not okay to be a good enough parent. 
in a lot of circles. When I'm actually cool with being a good enough but parent. gosh, they're like living vicariously and needing your kids. I mean, this whole college admission scandal oh, is just all, I mean, it's just such a, oh. It's the so anxiety so that people are giving to their kids, their young, young kids about achieving things that, listen, I, I don't, the education system I think is very odd and we are training, we're trying to train kids using outdated methods for jobs that haven't been created yet. <laughs> so I don't buy into that at all, but it is, man, it is really, really hard to continue to have belief in that when everybody around you is going, I need my kids to get straight A's and have tutors and, you know, get into these great schools. And then we are in Los Angeles where there are really expensive private schools that everybody's trying to get their kids into. Right. And for, for what? So that they're all trained in the exact same things for jobs that haven't been created? I don't know. Yeah. I, I think good enough is fine. I think good enough is fine. And I think, I think the, good enough is great. I think good enough, enough is great. Yeah. And, you know, I know this is a big soapbox place for me, but I think the lack of vocational school education that's offered in I high know, school level is uh-huh. criminal. criminal. It's actually criminal. It's unethical <laughs> for us as a co- yeah. as a country not to offer that as a free part of high school education. I can't believe I that it has disappeared. I know. I, you know, when I went to high school, the vocational school was kind of where the, like the kids who would otherwise be dropouts went and there yeah. was stigma attached to it. Yeah. And I didn't go. I was a, I was a good student. I just went to a traditional education and I really regret that because I was Bored, silly. And those vocational programs were amazing. Well, my boyfriend from high school um, went to vocational school and graduated just needing to apprentice as an electrician. Which they don't, apprenticeships are another thing that seems to have gone by the wayside, which is... Yeah, which is such a powerful way of learning and yes. mastering something. To learn from someone who knows, you know, they hired my my dad's an auto mechanic, and the local vocational school, which is now uh, I don't know if it's called secondary school, like college mm-hmm. type. You go to college or you go to vocational school. It's not free anymore in Georgia. Um, he became a diesel mechanic vocational school teacher because they wanted an apprentice they didn't want someone who just taught out of the textbook Mm -hmm. they wanted someone who knew what they were doing now we're totally off topic but but going back to the topic at hand you know your decision which daughter is that Um, isla for isla Mm -hmm. it goes right back to the story she's going to tell about herself which to me is the most important thing is now she's going to tell the story of being empowered and starting clubs and feeling good about herself. And as opposed to, like you said, the story of like, maybe I'm just not as smart as everyone else. And and right. that's the thing that I think matters the most because that's who she's going to believe herself to be. Right. And that's all that freaking matters is who you believe yourself yeah. to be. And the words you say to yourself, I'm stupid. Yeah. I'm dumb. I'm worse at school than she is. And as much as I have said to her, you know, here's what you're good at in school. Here's what you got to work on. We all have things we have to work on, but hang your hat on this part. And structure your life around it. Like what you did is you allowed her to be in a place where she could structure her life around her strengths. She There was time to do the things like the club and being social and all that stuff. If you just have these strengths, but you don't really use them because you think you have to be in this type of school doing this thing that just is, does not come easy to you or in this kind of job, which a lot of people do because it's yeah. the job that's going to make a money or the job that has the prestige or whatever. Ugh. And you're spending most of your days not living in your strengths. 
it takes a toll. It does take a toll. It, it, it makes you lost mm-hmm. as a person. You lose your value system mm-hmm. or your barometer or even how to find it. So many people who I know of people Bert went to school with are terribly unhappy in their 40s because they went to law school. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I don't know anybody who's an attorney who's happy. Is there a single attorney out there who's happy? I don't know him. I know. I know one. You know one? I know one. You know, what's coming up for me right now, too, is just talking about cultivating your self-esteem, because I think so often people and this goes back to just identifying your strengths. If you know what your strengths are and you spend time doing that, you're going to feel better about yourself. And so often these poor, you know, teenagers don't have an opportunity to do that. They don't know what their strengths are. They're not in a position to to spend time in those strengths. No. They don't have people, you know, saying, hey, what what's your superhero power? I mean, it goes back to the other thing you were saying about like the values as a parent mm-hmm. when you were talking about that. That's what I always say is if you're going to try to help your kid cultivate self-esteem, it's those two things. Help them identify what their strengths are and then spend time doing those and then what their values are. What do they care about? Do you Do you value being a great athlete or being a great student or being a great friend or being funny or there are a million, you get to choose. Yeah. But those two things, if you live your life in alignment with what you choose to value Mm -hmm. and in your strengths, then you earn your own self-worth. That's right. But just because your mom says, you're great, you're perfect how you are, you should love yourself. That's not, it just doesn't. That's called extrinsic value, right? And the only way you grow intrinsic value is by doing things like that, is making choices for yourself and achieving or failing mm-hmm. and learning from them and moving on. That's how you build self-esteem is you build this intrinsic value that I did that. I earned that. I own that. Um, if someone gives it to you. And it, having that conversation with your kids, I mean, your kids will likely just through osmosis have similar value systems than you have as a parent, right? I mean, they're living in it. They're mm-hmm. going to have you. But but allowing them to make some choices where they're going to value different things. I mean, maybe you were an athlete as a parent and you really would love for your kids to be athletes, Mm -hmm. but that's just not their thing. I mean, allowing them to start to have their own values that they want to live their lives by is huge. I think it is huge. And watching how you say them, Mm -hmm. watching Mm -hmm. your words, right? right? How do you talk to them about not wanting to be an athlete when you were a high school athlete or perhaps how do you, how do you frame that so that they don't feel devalued or less than because they don't make the same choice that you do? I think a lot of people have that problem, especially those football players in the South. You know, <laughs> they have a boy that's not playing football. Yeah. How do you – I think people have a hard time reconciling it in their head. How could you not? Because you probably loved it as a kid. How could you not? But they don't. It's okay. You know, I don't understand – Uh. I do understand Isla, I guess. But sometimes I go, I don't understand why that's not important enough yeah. to mm. to take action. Like mm-hmm. for her, schoolwork. You know, everybody's got to learn to read to some point. And everybody who's dealt with her dyslexia has said, you just need to get her read in fifth grade level. Uh, most people in life read at a fifth grade level. Mm-hmm. So if she can read That's at a fifth, it, fifth grade, grade, fifth yeah. grade. So they were like, for her, her remediation, her her disorder is like, the there's three types of dyslexia and she has the hardest one to remediate. So they were like, really the goal should be to get her reading at fifth grade. Anything beyond that is amazing, but you have to 
get her to that level. And man, getting her interested in 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 getting herself to that level was really hard because she does not care about reading, want to read, thinks she needs to read, sees the necessity, doesn't understand why it's important because you can get everything on audiobook. You can get mm-hmm. everything read too. You can just say, hey, Siri, mm-hmm. and ask hey, Siri. Siri a question mm-hmm. and Siri answers it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. That's an interesting thing too. How do you get certain things that they have to do to become important? I mean, I guess I would maybe just extrapolate out for for what she does value then and what she doesn't. Just like take that down into like, so what does that mean for your future? For what does that mean for what you what you would? I mean, I know she doesn't know, and you're not supposed to know at that age, but just to have had the conversations about what the possibilities are because it's just about opportunity. It's just about, I just want my kids to make sure they give themselves the most opportunities they can. So when they do decide what they like, they haven't burned a bridge for themselves. Exactly. So, (laughs) so just, you know, it's just that information is like, well, what, what, what what would it mean if you didn't read at a fifth grade level? What are the things that, I mean, if you're going to be a dancer, but your body's not, you may have, but you can't make a living dancing all the way till you're like, what are you going to do at 45? Like just who knows, but just those like to try to connect it to what she may, but you know, I mean, she's young. I mean, it doesn't really connect out that way all the time, but all you right. can do is all you can do it. They do take stuff in. They do. I mean, they do get I little snippets, it. you know, they do. They do. Yeah. And that's, you know, when we talk about having lots of mini conversations, it's mm-hmm. because oftentimes they need it repeated a whole bunch of times. Right. And it depends on the kid too. I have one kid who learns openly and one kid who learns Heels dug in, drug kicking and screaming. She's so damn stubborn. She won't learn. I have to pull her into learning. But it makes sense because it's hard. No, I mean like Not. learning life lessons. I mean, oh, like, just okay, like, oh, you yeah, just did yeah, that. Yeah. What do we think about that? And she's like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And I have to, to break her down. Not break her down sounds extreme. But to get her to a place where she can hear and learn is, is much more difficult. Than my other kid. So just natural consequences don't don't do that? Like, no. No. <laughs> just no. Oh, let me tell you, the finding currency for her has been an ever-changing, uh, never-ending journey. Because a currency that worked today didn't work, you know, won't work tomorrow. Call Mary at... Okay. 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 If I don't say that, I'll never remember to tell you. I wrote the number down in there. Thank you. Dinner with sister something tomorrow night. I'm not going to dinner with sister somebody. Yeah, we are. No. Hey Bert. (laughs) Hey Bert. Sorry guys. (laughs) Never dull. At least he wasn't in his underwear. No, he had shorts (laughs) on. He had shorts on. So he and a shirt. (laughs) He did. Was he in his underwear? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and his underwear was like boxer briefs that had stallions on them. Oh, running wow. stallions. So you really missed I out. I wish he had been in those. My apologies. <laughs> I have a friend who uh, I, I went over a married couple, and I went over to their house, took my kids over to go swimming one day, and the wife was taking a nap. She takes naps all the time, so I'll like I'll she'll invite me over, and then I show up, and she's taking a nap. And her husband was in the hot tub in paper thin white boxer shorts, oh. and he jumped out of the hot tub. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know I had this conversation with me and I was like, just look him in the eyes. Just look right? him in the eyes. And his wife came downstairs and was like, what are you doing? Pants on. And he looked down and then for about five minutes, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For about five minutes, continued to wrap up the conversation oh with me. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, it's The not- point being your husband in stallion underwear wouldn't. Wouldn't be that shocking. Mm -hmm. You couldn't see through it. Yeah, that's a step up. There you go. Anyway, (laughs) I don't remember what we were talking about before he interrupted us, but... um, Oh, just currency. Currency, yeah, 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 no currency. She's been very difficult with currency. Her currency is, I want what I want when I want it, and that's the currency. And it's she's a hard one. She's really hard. Uh, And she's really reactionary. Just boom to the roof. And you have to let her calm and then talk to her. She's a lot more. So for other parents who have kids, you know, not every kid accepts information the same, you know. For sure. They can't. They don't. Um, Bert and I don't accept information the same way. Um, He's just like Isla where he goes to the moon and he can't hear anything I say until he's calmed down, you know. There's a really interesting tag, two things to say on this. One is that my boyfriend talks about watermelon seeds and how there's some kids are watermelon seeds. And if you push on them, they jump across the room. And I uh-huh. love that analogy. Oh, that's so cool. I know. I love that analogy. And it perfectly explains my daughter. If I, I know that if I go to her in a confrontational way, that is not going to work right. at all. Whereas my son, it's, it's almost like you have to do that or he's, lost in a daydream, not paying any attention. So you kind of have to be a little bit more aggressive with him. But the other thing is that there is a test called the Colby A index. It's K-O-L-B-E, A index. It may be called something different for kids, but it's mainly Colby, K-O-L-B-E, that that you, you can give to a kid and it really explains how your kid goes about solving problems. Interesting. So yeah, it's super interesting and it's really helped me in parenting my kids. So there are people like I'm a quick start and you give me something to do and I jump in without knowledge and mm-hmm. I feel comfortable doing that. Right. I'm like, yeah, we'll do this. We'll figure it out along the way. And then there are people who are what are called fact finders and they really need a lot of upfront information. Mm-hmm. So I just want to throw that out for your people. That was remarkable for me in parenting my kids it's for a little bit older kids is it an online test yeah it's so and you can take it for yourself too like that's how I found out that I'm a quick start and um it is what it's like a multiple choice what would you rather do a b c or d there's a whole bunch of questions of I forget how long that one takes not 15 minutes 10 15 minutes I mean 20 minutes there you go oh you've Uh, taken it or did you just look no, it up? No, he's looking at oh. it. He's looking it up. He listens minutes, yeah. to what we're talking about. Yeah. And then he takes notes and writes things down so I can post that on my website. That good. The, the Colby, Colby is my favorite. There's like the, what's it called? The Briggs Myers Briggs. I love Briggs, that yeah. one. Um, I love Colby more. I love Colby way more. Those tests are so valuable. So valuable. And yeah. knowing yourself and then knowing the other person. I, Bert and I took this behavioral analyst test. I don't know if it was that. Or the one was about your value system and the other one was about your personality maybe or your behaviors or something um and did it give you letters like enfp entj that's the myers-briggs yeah i don't know what that is okay. so no but but it helped us in understanding each other differently because we always we've always said to each other we're wired so differently mm-hmm. but that's such a broad statement my kids are wired so differently from each other again a broad statement but to be able to specify you know you're a quick starter and I'm a fact finder. Like I talked about this podcast for a year and I needed to 
research how to build a website, figure out how to do all this stuff. I wasn't about to start until my ducks were in a row and then I could start. And then I did. But and the same when we remodeled this house, I had everything ordered, everything designed, everything chosen, everything in my front yard before they demoed my house because I have to have it ready and then we can start. Um, So I don't know if that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and it's an interesting. Finder. I mean, I think it's really interesting for parents to just be curious about those little things about their kids because a quick start would drive a fact finder crazy, right? And vice versa. Like if you and I were working on a project together, we would have to come to terms with yeah. like, what am I going to do? What do you need something where right. somebody just jumps in and does it? Right. And, and what do I need to rely on you for? And really set those boundaries because we would... Like, I would make you really nervous. I'd be like, no, we're just going to start a podcast today. No, Bert is a quick start. Yeah. Uh, and, yep. and when we remodeled the house, I said to him, here's what I need. I pulled out pictures from magazines and I went, this is what I'm thinking for the kitchen. This is what I'm thinking for the bathroom. This is what I'm thinking for the house. I need you to sign off on this and leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And he went, okay, if I can have the yard, you can have the house. And I went, done. You got the yard. I got the house. Leave me alone. So that's what we did. We worked those terms out Mm -hmm. ahead of time. But that would be so helpful for siblings to figure out how to deal with each other. If Georgia knows that Isla's a fact finder and Isla knows that Mm -hmm. Georgia is a quick start, then they can help each other. That's super interesting. Yeah, it is super interesting. And I mean, it also just like. There's so much conversation there about values too mm-hmm. in there. Like, you know, fact finders probably value being accurate a lot more than someone like me where I'm okay being messy for a while. You, you know, are I'm so okay. right. Bert tells a story and I go, that's not true. That's completely not true. Oh, yeah. you just added that. That's totally not true. It, it makes me crazy. He has to be able to tell stories that aren't true in his job. I know, but when we're sitting around right, here telling yeah. a story, when yeah. he's recounting the barbecue. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm like, that. Told- I never said that, and that <laughs> never happened, and that's not true. So now you've made me look like a jerk when none of that actually happened. Good story. People probably get there's a little bit of yeah. No, I don't know if you know this, but I dispute him openly and publicly good, when we're good. in these situations, like personal situations, yeah. where I go, these things are incorrect because I'm the fact finder, uh, I guess. Now that I've evaluated myself based on what you've said about this test. <laughs> Once again, but, I'm not a therapist, you guys. Well, I'm just a writer. I'll be taking that test. <laughs> totally. It's with a, my kids. You know what it did for me? Here's what it did for me. And I, I want to say this too about those tests. They're really helpful instruments, but you should not oh, let them totally. define you. You 100%. should not let it define you. However, what it did for me. So I am a ghostwriter. I have to do a lot of fact finding and I felt so bad about myself because I would kind of procrastinate on that. And it just, I like, I felt like I was kind of fraudulent as a ghostwriter. Then I took that test. And what I learned was if you're a quick start, you need to have really aggressive deadlines. You need to be like, shit, I don't know if I can get this done in time. And, and then you'll, then you'll do it. Right. Right. Because that's how you work. And so I just set myself up in a different way and I stopped feeling fraudulent. And I was like, oh, just aggressive deadlines, hard to meet. Seems crazy that I could meet that deadline. There we go. I can do that. That's was, amazing. Yeah. That's what Bert does too. Bert, Bert, when he wrote his book, he was like, yeah, I'll have that book in, in three months. And I went, excuse me, what? You can't write a book in three months. And he didn't. But he he needed that hard, fast. Yeah. You, I had, And he came out here and wrote a chapter a day, just vomited a chapter a day out um, and got it done. But I, don't I mean, know. it's like the other thing that it did for me and we're way off topic, but hey, I'll bring okay. it I'll it's bring okay. it's around okay. eventually. Um, 
the first draft of a book has to be crappy. It's just the way the process goes. Well, same it with can't a script. Be, yeah, it can't be good. You can't start off with a good first draft. That's no. never going to happen. No. Well, that's really empowering to somebody who's a quick start to be like, oh, first draft is crappy? Great. Just I can do that. Just slap it on paper. Yeah, yep. just slap it on paper. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard for me. First oh, draft's so hard. hard. And we work together on a book and I just was like, I don't understand that. I admire, it's the thing I admire about you probably the most that you're willing to just get it done super fast to have somewhere to start. Yeah. So thank you. It's so much better to be editing something than to be staring at the blank page. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, the first sentence has to be really well worded. Me too. <laughs> it should need yeah. very little adjusting. Yeah, exactly. It should be Her almost way is perfect. way better for It is writing. way better. <laughs> and I would argue that my way results in a better product. It, it just I does. think so. Yeah, I just think it does. Well, because and the product gets done. A, because the product gets done, <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is all, um, Anne Lamott wrote a book called Bird by Bird. And yeah. if my memory of the book is correct, the entire book is about the shitty first draft. I think she calls it the shitty first draft, but it might be crappy first draft. And about the, the like the just kind of being excited about getting something shitty down on paper and how from there you can make it good. And it was, you know, all these people that have writer's block because they're terrified of that crappy first draft. That crappy first draft. Bert I is, love it. Bert loves it too. He That's exactly how he functions. He'll I, just slap yeah. it down. I tell my clients too, like now in the first conversation, the first draft you get from me is going to be crap. Right. Be expect, you know, be expecting a terrible draft. Right. And then, you know, then they're not as upset when I wait until the very last minute to give them a crappy first draft. So I wonder <laughs> if you take this test, the Kobe mm-hmm. test, Kobe, uh-huh. if that would be helpful back to our words in how you talk to someone, right? In the parameters that you mm-hmm. set for yourself. It sounds to me like your work, your duties in your job are the same, but you, it reframed your, your brain and how you can use words to do that. You know, you go, okay, just a label for me, labels have always been freeing because you're wired differently as broad. Uh, my mom's fucked up is too broad, you know, but to label that made it, made it possible for me to compartmentalize and then, uh, repair or, or strategize or, um, heal or whatever I needed to do with, with, uh, what I discovered about myself or about my interpersonal relationships or whatever to be able to say, you know, um, you're a quick starter. Bert's a quick starter. Now I can go, okay, now I know how to handle him. Mm-hmm. I can say, why don't you jump right in that <laughs> and let me know when you're ready for me, you know, instead of uh, like, oh my God, I can't believe you're going to start this. This is, you yeah, haven't even yeah. read a book yet. And say, so, you know, to, to talk to them differently because you have that different perspective mm-hmm. um, would be really helpful, I would yeah. imagine. Really helpful. And, I, you know, personal relationships too. My ex-husband, and I know he's my ex-husband, but we're on great terms. So yes. um, my ex-husband is a fact finder and it would drive me crazy. I'm like, you're, the way that I thought about it was you're so goddamn slow. Yeah. And it would like make me so irritated. And then when I was like, oh, he's a fact finder. He just needs more facts. Mm-hmm. Then I could like listen to them and give him the facts that he needed and, you know, answer the questions. And I wasn't sitting there going, God, why is he taking so long? Right. You know? Because you understood it. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you had mm-hmm. a, a word or a label where you could go, oh, I got that. I understand mm-hmm. he fits in this box. So he yep. needs to be dealt with in this way. And you see how their um, 
it's really necessary. Like I need fact finders in my life or I am going to get myself in a lot of trouble. I need people who will pull me back and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need this information first. Yeah. Bert too. That's why he has a team. That's why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He has a team because, and we all have different roles in the team. When he wrote his book, he would literally vomit his first draft and give it to me. And I'd go like, oh my God, you use the word that three times in one sentence. You got (laughs) to hang out through two of the three that's. I mean, come on. But if I hadn't done that, I don't know what his book, what shape it would have been in. It just, just to proofread it. I mean, not even all I really did was proofread yeah. and take out all his junkiness. It was all his book, but he needed a fact finder. Mm-hmm. He needed someone. I am a grammar Nazi. I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I have a thing for grammar. So we're way off topic. Grammar being words, right? Yeah. But labeling <laughs> comes back to it. I mean, like you were talking about labeling. I do think it's the same thing we started talking about is are the labels that you that we choose to use for ourselves, empowering like those mm-hmm. or disempowering. Right. And I mean, that's a great, what a great dinner table conversation. Like, what would you, what do you, what do you think yeah. your label, what would you label yourself if you only got to have one label, what would it be? Right. And can the labels change? That's another thing. Yeah. I get really like my, I told think I told you this. I get my feathers ruffled when people like ask my kids what they're going to be when they grow up. Uh-huh. And I finally was like, that's bothering me because I am 44 years old and regularly finding something new that I love. And I don't like the idea of you're just going to be one thing when you grow up. And Mm -hmm. so like teaching them, these labels can shift and you can shift them. You can decide I'm not going to be this way anymore. I'm going to be a different way. Very true. Very true. And you're going to do it so many times over your life. There's so many different labels that you're going to have. It's like you were talking about pigeonholing your son as the good brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now he, well, if, if Junie says, I'm going to be a train engineer, does she now feel like she's got to grow up and be a train right, engineer? Right, right. No, yeah. I, yeah. I, let's hope not. Yeah. Um, words are so powerful. They can be so destructive and so healing. And you can, just like you said earlier, one word can change everything. And if we all were just a little more mindful because <laughs> even you're even you're using the word label and you said it was so helpful for you mm-hmm. more often than not in my experience in the world of psychology the label is not helpful for people is because it it's a diagnosis ah. right and so it's a it's something wrong it's a pathology interesting so those so to be labeled but then like it, it's this is why it just matters to be conscious of it and how you're using it because right. the power is in the in the word is what you give it right that's what right you allow it to have over you so but it can be helpful for like your mom to have a diagnosis like as a as the child i mean all that's fine it's just interesting to be aware that um you know how words define and have power and you know we can choose to believe the ones people give us or not and uh, yeah how they affect you how, mm-hmm. how they affect you. I had never thought about that. I guess labeling would be a diagnosis. For me, it took the power out of the problem mm-hmm. because I could identify the problem. Mm-hmm. I could identify it and go, oh, this fits in this box. Okay. Well, there, and there's something that you're doing naturally too, which is one of the parts of um, psychology that I love as well, which is narrative therapy. Now, what narrative therapy does is you put the problem outside of you. So instead of, you're just angry. You're just so angry. You have mm-hmm. anger issues. You have a problem with anger. It's like you you bring it. So instead of you're angry, it's like, oh, 
anger. I'm having a relationship with anger. Like there's something about Mm. this relationship I'm having. So you're taking it out. You're giving it its name, whatever it is, but it's not you. Right. And so you are labeling it so that you can then look at it as this other thing that you want to decide how you're going to interact with it. I see. Oh, I love that. That's interesting. Yeah. So if your kid is whatever it is, if your kid is shy or your kid is anxious mm. to be to look at the relationship that your child is having with anxiety right, right now in this moment that may or may not be the same tomorrow or in a year but it's not it's just externalizing it, mm-hmm. it again like like just what you said it takes the power away when it's it doesn't have a grip on you anymore you're able to put it out here externalize it look at it label it whatever you want decide what you want to think about it drop it whatever you want to do with it put it somewhere else mm-hmm. Ah, I just learned that that was a big aha moment for me because um, I do that with everything. Mm -hmm. And I try with George's anxiety to get her to do that too. And I didn't, I didn't have a label for it. So I didn't understand that I was doing something actually that's like a process sort Mm -hmm. of. I was trying, always try to get her to detach from what's happening so that she can calm it down. Because that is really where most of our power is in the ability to witness our own Mm. minds. So there's the part of us that is just being here. I'm sitting here. I'm speaking. I'm feeling what I'm feeling. But there's a part of me that can witness myself. Mm -hmm. And and when we tune in and turn that on, mm-hmm. that's when we have our power. So mm-hmm. what you want, what you're intuitively intuitively wanting to do with your daughter is exa- turn on that. So instead of being gripped by her anxiety or beating herself uh, herself up over the anxiety, she starts to have a little crack of being able to witness, like, oh, well, so this is that. So this is my anxiety. Like there's a whole other part of her brain that can think about her anxiety. Right. And then the space just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. The more just like non-judgmental curiosity she brings to that. And I mean, I've seen it work with big diagnoses. I mean, bipolar, schizophrenia. No like it's, way. Where it's just that, a, a, just a crack for the witness of yourself to realize like, oh, this isn't, this is right now 99% of my brain and there's 1% of me that can like witness it, but then that can grow and grow and grow right. until you're, you're living with it. Right. I'm going to live inside the same brain with this anxiety and not try to just, just let it be and just be curious about it. And it takes away its sting. Now it's I'm not, power, yeah. I am not an anxiety expert and there are, I'm not trying to say that bipolar and schizophrenia yeah, can no, be no. cured by this. I'm not of saying that. Not. I'm just no. saying it's a, it's a really like what you're doing is really super powerful. It's it, a rider and the elephant, right? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. the rider watching the elephant come undone a little bit and going, this is going to calm down elephant. We're calming down. Mm-hmm. This is going to pass. We know what this is. We know what this looks like. We can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen gave me some really great advice. So, okay. I, Kristen's like my personal therapist and I'll call her and go, this happened. What do I do? So, so which, and I loved, you gave me this sentence to say to people when they're so taken over by an emotion, which is, can you make a little bit of room in your brain to tell me what's going on in there? And I, it's so helpful to get them to separate from it mm-hmm. a little bit and mm-hmm. and witness it mm-hmm. and not even make it bad. Just help me understand what it's like yeah. to have yeah. that going on inside your head. Right. Just help me understand. Right. I mean, that's the power of having another person because it's hard to do these things for ourselves. Right. But when it's that non-judgmental, sense, yeah. when I when it's like you know th- this is this is anxiety. There's nothing wrong with you that you're having this. You're not do- being bad or wrong. Let's just get curious and see. Like it's trying to tell you something. Like it has yeah. a message for you. What is it? Let's understand it. 
curiosity is like magic. But mm-hmm. but I think you know how anything in life is when we push against something, we only make it bigger. Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm not supposed to be anxious. I'm not supposed to be anxious. What's wrong with me? That I it just it just grows. Yeah. And I can be like, okay, well, I, I do this sometimes. Like it's so interesting. Like my mind, I just this just happens sometimes. And let's get let's start to like map out when it happens, what it's about. Like, let's find as many facts about this as we can. Yeah. Like I always say, like an emotional emotional anthropologist. Ah. Let's just get really curious about our own emotions. There's a, I think it's Viktor Frankl. I think, and I think it's called paradoxical intentions. Is that a Viktor Frankl concept? Do you know? I don't think so. Paradoxical interventions. Or intentions, I you're think saying? so. I, Is so it, I, it may be. So I think I that it's, I think he talks about in Man's Search for Meaning, if you want to feel, if you don't want to feel nervous or anxiety, try to feel as nervous or anxious as you can because it makes you get in there and go, it makes what's you, this about? Like, how do I try to feel that oh, more? Yeah, exactly. And you can start to Turns on the intellect yeah. instead of the mm-hmm. I think that scares yeah. someone who, that would, I would imagine that would scare the people in my family who have, like panic disorder. Yes, yes. That, yeah. This I is that for just, terrifying. yeah. For regular people for, yeah, who for, feel anxious. To, yeah. But you know, I was thinking as you were talking, curiosity doesn't leave a lot of room for judgment. Right. If you are just purely right. curious, there's no judgment because you don't know the answer. You don't That's right. have, you have no idea. So to even, even if you're trying to change your words when you're parenting, if you could do that from a po- place of curiosity, what have I been saying mm-hmm. that keeps me stuck or unhappy or angry? What have I been saying? And why have I been saying that? Instead of, I've been saying so much shit and I'm so bad for saying that. It's saying, but why? But why? Why? I used to ask why. My dad, I remember seeing my dad drop his shoulders and going, you just can't say that word again today. <laughs> no more whys. <laughs> but why is the most powerful word? Why am I using those words to talk to my kids or uh, why don't I choose a different word? I mean, the curiosity about yourself is so powerful. Like you just said, hearing you describe that, it just feels like it could be so helpful for people. And then just to bring that into your parenting, instead of, I always think of it, instead of always being so agenda driven with our kids, like Mm -hmm. we just need them to do certain things to just really be curious because this is their response (laughs) to that. Huh? Like, that's so interesting. I wonder what what that's really about mm-hmm. instead of always having, I mean, it's. I guess it's just the both, turning the curiosity on our kids and on ourselves instead of just doing those knee-jerk reactions. And Yeah, curiosity has no fear, no judgment, no no limited self, no, no self-esteem. It's just open mm-hmm. and give it to me. I want, I want to know, a search for knowledge. And in that, there's so much reward, right? There's so much self-esteem and love and acceptance and guidance. And in that with our kids, I think what they feel is, oh, my opinion on this really matters. Right. Mm-hmm. This this adult really wants to know what I think. I, got, I better think about what my opinion is. I better be like the more you get to practice having opinions about things and and standing up for them and talking about them, it just solidifies more and more those things we were talking about. Like, what do you value? Who do you want to be? Who are you? Like, what choices are you making? This is your life. Well, I always say that to my kids. Sorry, that's, that's the blower. Okay. You know, and I think one of the things too about that is that once you start having those conversations where you're just curious, the 
like the conversation then continues forever. Cause I want, as a parent, I want my kids to be able to talk to me about anything. Mm -hmm. And so if there is constant curiosity about who your kid is, curiosity about who you are, you know, conversations about the fact that you're examining who you are, your kids feel so much free to come to you with things that they're struggling with or, right. Or even in themselves to be curious about themselves. Curiosity begets curiosity. Right? I mean, I have to say a powerful one that I kind of hate to admit and I <laughs> kind of hate to talk about, but whatever you talk about your kids, I'm going to talk about my, <laughs> and he deserves it, I guess. But so my 17 <laughs> year old son, I busted him vaping, which I think is the scourge scourge of this generation. It is yeah. just, it's terrifying to me. Yeah. And knowing that me I mean, I've given him all the information I could possibly give him. Yeah. Medical information, scientific information, everything I could give him. Knowing that me having my beliefs as I have them and feeling so strongly about it was not necessarily enough to not get him to ever do it. And I'm not, I'm also not the kind of, I'm not, A, I'm not going to ground him for his whole life or follow him around or I mean, it's just not who I am. I'm I'm like, you're 17 years old. Like, this is your life. You're going to go to college in a year. You have to make these choices. And this really hard conversation led to him being really curious about what does it mean like to be addicted to nicotine? What mm. does that feel like? What 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 is that? And so he he wasn't addicted. He just I I busted him with he had one of those stupid vapes and he it happened to be at a time when he was going away somewhere for 10 days where there was going to be no access to that at all. Uh-huh. And um so he said, you know what I want you to do, mom? He's like, I'm not going to tell you right now that I'm never, I'm 17. I'm not going to tell you that I'm never going to have a hit or whatever you can call it off of vape again for the rest of my life. But I will tell you that if you check in on me, we can have real conversations about it. Like every weekend, if you'll say like, how much did you do it? And then he's like, I'll be honest with you. And he, over that first 10 day period of not having access to it, he was like, it was really fascinating. I thought about it today. Like on the third day, I was like, you thought about it? And he was like, yeah, I just thought about it. And I thought, oh, does the fact that I thought, just thought about it mean that I am addicted, addicted to it, but I'm not physically addicted, but just the fact that my mind wanted it, like, what does that mean? And point is, he so was curious. learning about his own mind. And he was like, I feel pretty clear at the end of the 10 days. He's like, I, I clearly wasn't physically addicted. But I said, but if you had thought about it and had it, would you have done it? He was like, probably, because like, why not? I mean, right. I don't even like them. I've never even tried them. But if I had it and you told me I could never do it, I'd probably want to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just the point being of like Sorry, letting him be curious about that instead of everything I wanted to do was like just ground him and make him sit and watch documentaries about what it does to your brain. And all yeah, that. yeah. And, but he he got he got to take his power back on, you know. Got it being curious about addiction and the choices he makes and what he wants to do. And anyway, you get the point. It was, I do, yeah. but you inspired him to be become curious yeah. about that issue. Because think how bad it was, because he knew all the reasons not to do totally. it. And he still kind of was like, yeah, but I mean, I'm, I kind of want to do it. So right. that feels bad. Like as a, as a human being, it feels weird to not really want to do something, but do it anyway. Yeah. So instead to be curious about it and like really get in there about, well, what is that about myself and this issue? Like, right. do I really want to do it? Do I not? Is anyway. it because my friends are doing it? Exactly. Is it yeah. cool? All that. All is that. It, is and it because it yeah. tastes good? Man, you what, parents yeah. so much 
so much differently when you know why they're doing it. Because if he's doing it because his friends are doing it, that's a totally different conversation than he's doing it because he's addicted. Right. Totally different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. It's cool that that happened, that you guys were able to go through that. And he that that's what he came up with. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, he talked about it with his older brother. And then, I mean, now it's a part of the, it's just a conversation, which right. I think, you know, it'd be so much easier to be like, just don't do it. But I really don't want to know if you are doing it because it's, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, I mean, it had its upside. Totally. Totally. <laughs> sure. And, you know, if that's the worst thing he does, you're yeah. okay. You're yeah. doing fine. I mean, we talk about this with our kids all the time. It's. It's scary to have kids that age and think what they're doing. Well, I mean, he just, but, this is, you know, it's not what we're supposed to be talking about. But I mean, it is fascinating how many kids that age in high school cannot sleep through the night. They are so addicted mm-hmm. to nicotine really? that their bodies wake them up <gasps> to have a puff of that stupid vape. Are you kidding? Oh, it is an epidemic. I didn't know it that. It is yeah. so bad. They can't, I mean, they've banned it from schools, but they still, they can't get through class. They have to, go, I mean, it is so bad you know this uh, something comes up for me in this which is getting in front of these conversations with your kids because like my kids are seven and nine and we talk about nicotine vaping already because it's present it's present in their lives it's you know it's everywhere yeah and so like kind of role playing with your kids i think is really important what are you gonna do if you're like all my friends are doing it and i'm in this social situation like what are some things you can say that would that's actually part of the thing with vaping at least in my son's experience is it's interesting. It's the natural when someone has it, you just automatically pass it. Like yeah, it's very yeah. shared. It's mm. I don't know whether that's you kind of want everyone else to be doing it because then everyone's bad, but more so than other things is just seems like it's just a shared thing. Doesn't matter whose it is. Everyone they just kind of share them. It's social. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wonder if uh, this is a bigger conversation and completely off topic, but <clears throat> our kids did don't have they didn't they they're so into social media and that's how they connect i wonder all the time if they don't understand how to connect in ways that we were forced to you know or we had to talk to each other and you know we all played in the street until the street lights came Mm -hmm. on and you fought (laughs) and you dealt with each other and that that interpersonal doesn't happen and it only happens in something like sharing a vape pen because it's point. something, yeah. you know, that they can all do together mm. instead of building a fort in the woods. They miss that step. But it is an action of connection. I mean, it I is, like the way you're yeah. pointing that. It's like the five languages of love, right? I mean, that is like a social, that's a way to say, hey, we're friends. Yeah. I never thought about it that we're way same, before. We're same, same. Same yeah. tribe, same group. Yeah. We s- understand each other. I, I don't know. That worries me about this generation. They're so much better than us at some things, but at at those kind of interpersonal subtleties, sort of, I think they have a harder time. I mean, they break up with each other over text. Uh, yeah, I know. There's <laughs> no, there's no personal. I was watching Colin Quinn's special last night, and he was he was making fun of of um, kids these days that take pictures of their body parts and send them, text them. He was like, you know, in my day, you, you took a Polaroid of your dick, and then you had to go. I'm going to go walk this Polaroid <laughs> to this girl down the street and show her my dick, and her, people would be like, "Are you crazy?" And now it's just like how they work. That's, That's so what they funny. do: is they take pictures of body parts and text them to each other. Or airdrop. Oh, this uh, is a new one that I just learned about, and <laughs> uh, where boys will walk by girls at the mall or whatever. And I mean, obviously, you have to accept an airdrop. So if you don't know who's trying to airdrop you something, you, by the way, tell your daughters, do not accept it. But right. boys will try 
to just walk by them now in the mall and airdrop a picture picture of their junk. What? Yes. And I mean, now you have a picture of your, their penis on your phone. Right. Like you got to get rid of that. And then he's going to run for state senator and you've got a picture of <laughs> right, his penis, exactly. right? So maybe tell it's your kind sons of a good also thing, not right? to send pictures of well, the penis. Tell, tell your sons that too if you have to. That's so sad. Uh, I don't know. I almost think that that phenomena is now like nobody thinks that's sexy. There's nobody in the world that Half thinks that that's sexy. Half the adults in the entertainment business think that flashing their penis is a normal thing to do. I think it's the weirdest thing I almost think that now thing. they just think it's funny. They're like, let's see no, how far we can go with this. creepy people who lost their jobs, it was because of that. It's Whoever weird. thought that anyone wanted to see that? Um, I never have. <laughs> you never so have record, seen it? No, I ha- never have thought, hey, I'd like to see a penis right, right now. <laughs> Anybody got a penis they could show me? I don't really walk not around like that. Not a random penis. Nope, never. I'm not afraid never. of it, but I don't necessarily want to gaze at it. It's not no. something that people, you know, I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah, I've never needed to see. That didn't quantify or qualify anybody for dating in my day. Or like for being a good boss that you uh, think no. that your women who work for you want to see that. No, <laughs> yeah. no. We know. have really veered off topic. <laughs> but see, but, 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 see but see, being on topic is really great. But this part of what I want my podcast to I be know. is a conversation. Yeah, This yeah. is how conversations go. I think we did okay. <laughs> I, did, did. I, did I have good. one thing I want to talk about. What? I have so many things I want to talk about. That's such a lie. <laughs> no, there's one thing related to... um. To words, hyperbole. Oh, I really love that yeah, one. Yeah, okay. yeah, I like that one too. Forgive me. I'm this word has been is. defined for me a million times and I still... You just used it. This well, word's a million been defined times. a million times. A million times. Because it hasn't been defined a million is a times. It's probably been defined, you know, You're the, greatest, you're about the single 10 people. greatest person I've ever met in my entire life. Why? I am not. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's hyperbole. Right. That's hyperbole. Oh, you're the okay. best. Okay, no, okay, I you're okay. not what I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were really saying that. I was like, I, really I like totally you. am I d- not. I thought that too for a minute. And I was like, well, what the hell? Well, hold on, right? I mean, can write really So hyperbole in the positive feels really good, but it's just the... It's just the negative part, the negative aspects of it. It's like, you know, you are the, you're the worst mom. You're the worst mom ever. Oh, like yes, you never say anything nice to me. Okay. You always, all you ever do is criticize me. You never take up for me. Just that. My like, teacher is the worst. You he hate me. me. Um, this came up for me. Actually, I went to this um, neuro-linguistic programming seminar uh-huh. about a year ago. And it was one of those seminars where like you're up really late and you have to be there really early. And if you go to the bathroom, they kind of shame you. Okay. <laughs> so the one time I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. So I can't like I have to go. I'm trying to leave. And the guy running the seminar is like, the next thing I tell you is going to be the most important thing you've ever heard in your entire life. Do not leave. Oh my God. I was like, God damn you. And he was using hyperbole, but it ended up being a really important thing. And what it was, was the use of when you're talking to somebody who's like, my life is awful. Everything's terrible. Challenge them a little bit on that. Challenge them a little bit on, okay, everything's terrible. Like you seem like your relationship with your spouse is good. Oh yeah. Okay. That's good. Okay. So not everything's terrible. And it's the same thing. I think with kids, you know, they start in on how awful you are how awful their teacher is or you know how they're the stupidest person alive and if you just push back a little bit on it you can get them to change their talk track on it which i think is a really important part of telling empowering stories is not you call it catastrophizing right catastrophizing oh uh, yeah. well, i call it catastrophe thinking yeah. Yeah. catastrophe speaking because it, it, it again it has power like it's yeah. building the momentum of yeah. the story and it's like wow if it's really that bad i mean why bother just give up now 
And you know, what's interesting is I think part of it's the age, part of it's the generation. Uh, uh, everything is the most yeah. whatever, amazing, hardest, uh, intense, insane, horrible thing. If you don't have that story, you don't have a story. I actually do think there is something about the generation, like you just said. I feel mm-hmm. like there is a real emotional volatility. Mm-hmm. And I, and in my opinion, this is just me making this up, but the fact that kids are so connected right here to ever, seeing everyone else's perfect, fabulous lives and what they're missing out on, yeah. that you're either a part of it and it's like the greatest thing ever because it's just so perfect and fabulous, or if you're not, it's just, it's literally devastating. It's you the suck. worst thing ever. You can't, like you mm-hmm. have no friends. You, mm-hmm. I mean, and it just, it does add to it because we used to have things happen and used to be bad, but you didn't have to see it in front of your face with 40 million beautiful pictures it's all the time. Mm-hmm. You guys should watch Colin Quinn's special. It's called Red State, Blue State. He is joked. Obviously, it's all jokes. But he talked about that. He was like, you know, town hall meetings was like you stood on a stump and talked to eight people. Right. Now <laughs> you, you're, you're on your social media and you're talking to hundreds of thousands of people and you don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And just because you're famous doesn't mean you're smart. Or doesn't even mean that you know what you're talking about. But that is what young kids especially accept as they do know what they're talking about. And they do know uh, what I'm supposed to be doing, looking like, reading, not reading. They, they're experts when they're not. They're really not. We've muddied the playing field so much that they don't know who to look for. And I think it leaves them feeling lost. And that extreme hyperbole that, you know, when you look at Instagram, most amazing daughter ever, mm-hmm. right. most beautiful woman ever, right. My, uh, um, best vacation of all time. You feel like such a loser that you're not involved in that. I wonder if that affects the levels of anxiety and depression that's happening with kids these days I mean, because of the to. hyperbole mm-hmm. instead of just saying, I'm having a great time on my trip with my family, yeah. really enjoying it. That's really important. And I think that the negative stuff is really important too. Just getting them to step back a little bit. And, you know, my coach is the worst coach ever. Okay. You know, if it's that bad, you should probably quit. So is their coach really the worst coach ever? And getting them to change it just a little bit every time. And then I think it always comes back to just how do you want people to feel about you because we all know catastrophizers and after a while like someone cries wolf a couple more times and you're just like whatever Mm -hmm. you just don't believe them and you don't even have compassion for them really because all they are they just are always the complainer and how long have you known Bert Kreischer (laughs) have you been talking to him regularly okay he lost his voice like I did and we went to lunch on Monday and he he texted me at lunch I'm not speaking because I believe I have torn my vocal cords. He had a fucking cold. He's texting me. And I go, babe, have you have you taken like a decongestant? Because what causes laryngitis when you have congestion is congestion. I mean, you haven't been screaming for days. So it's got to be. The con- have you tried a decongestant? No, 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 no. They give me panic. Okay. <laughs> have you tried an anti-inflammatory? No, this no, is no, all no, texting, no, no. By the way. All no. texting at lunch. And I'm like, I'll tell you what. Before he was like, I think I may need an MRI on my vocal cords. <laughs> and I went, okay, before we do that, take three Advil, wait 20 minutes and see if it improves. 
Okay, fine. Three Advil, 20 minutes he's talking. Never mentions it again. <laughs> but you have proof. Never mentions you have it. Right, proof. right? Never mentions it again. This happens constantly with him. He believes he is dead or dying at any minute. And I say to him all the time, if you cry wolf, you wonder why I don't go to the moon every time right. you say this. You've been crying wolf for 17 years. I've known you for You're 17 still years. Alive. And you you know what? It's probably the healthiest person I know other than your liver. But <laughs> everything else is working pretty good. But yeah, it's... um. I, I'm uh, so my husband does it about the dog. My daughter gives him stuffed animals. And, and this is a hundred pound Akita. So it takes like 44 seconds before but it's just yeah, kind of fun because he just loves it and he destroys it or whatever but even if it is just like three little puffs of cotton be like this is a disaster get in here and clean up this dog disaster and now Riley's like what is it mom and I'm like it's three come <laughs> <laughs> like, on that the rest of us are just laughing at him he doesn't want us to laugh at him but i mean get a grip it's hard not to it okay is. when it someone is. says i believe i've damaged my vocal cords <laughs> when you've had a cold <laughs> for seven days and take no medication for it yeah you probably tore them you're probably right yeah your career's totally over let's let's book the surgeon let's now sell the house right let's move. uh we're gonna live in a tent in north hollywood park with the rest of the people holy That's shit actually, that'd be a good bit for him actually oh lord have mercy that guy i'm glad you brought up the hyperbole i'm glad you explained it i have to say it ended up being so helpful for me in three of my three past serious relationships have said they've commented on this with me that when I'm upset about something. I'm like, you're always doing this and you're always doing this and just pulling back and being specific about, okay, what's actually going on? What's actually true? And what am I taking to an extreme that is ridiculous? And makes you feel worse about the situation. Mm -hmm. Makes everybody feel worse. Makes everybody respond to you poorly. You know, it keeps the elephant in charge. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't let the writer, the writer's the one that goes now, actually, what is actually going on? Right. Right. So I'm glad that guy didn't let me go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a little weird. Well, I think I learned a lot about your words today. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. It was really good. And I'm definitely taking that test. Yeah. And read Mindset by Carol Dweck. What is it? Mindset. Mindset. It's about fixed versus growth mindset. Hugely helpful. And and it's fascinating research. The the, where she did it all was she did like, well, the one piece that I remember from it is that, um, in America, they would give, I don't remember whether it's, I think it's high school students, but they would give kids, I don't know how many, one or a few math problems that are unsolvable. And they would give them, I think it was China. And the American kids are like, eh, I don't know, I'm going to be wrong about the timing. Not a lot of time spent and just give up. Whereas the Chinese kids would work hour, hour. I don't know. Again, I don't know what the time was, but so much longer just because the mindset of the American kids was like, oh, well, if I can't get it, then like, let's just move on. It's not gettable. Whereas the Asian, these Chinese kids were taught, like, keep working, you can get it, keep working, you get it. And there's so many examples like that. She did it with law school students. And it's really fascinating to read how she came up with this idea that if you believe that things aren't supposed to come easy, that if you, if that you can learn things, like you're not just smart or not as smart, that everyone has the ability to learn. If you believe that, then you will put in the work and it will serve you. And Thinking that you're supp- you're smart when something's not easy, all of a sudden you think something's wrong. Oh my gosh, what if I'm not really smart? And just don't try. Right. It's just fascinating the details of the research that led her to those conclusions. That's interesting. Have you read a book called Drive? No. There's a book called Drive. It's really a book for um, 
like CEOs of companies or people who run management kind of book. But he talks about that growth mindset versus fixed mindset and how to structure um how to structure your your kind of um, office culture to be a growth mindset office as opposed to a fixed mm-hmm. mindset office. Uh, so that's where I don't know if he was quoting her research, but I, that's where I'd heard that before was from that book Drive. We did a book club about Drive on this podcast early. It was I'm going to read that. Who wrote views. it? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um I'll find it a year and a half ago, I guess, when I read it. Uh, But it was fascinating. It was really a business driven book. But at the very end, there was a lot about parenting. And that's where I got the idea of not connecting chores to allowance, Mm -hmm. to incentivize because you're part of the group. Therefore, you contribute and you're part of the group. Therefore, you get allowance not to associate Mm -hmm. them together came from that book. Yeah. uh, how to motivate people to intrinsically motivate people mm-hmm. instead of, you know, money's an extrinsic motivator. Right. But in the long run, it doesn't keep people motivated. People go back to work because they like their job. They don't go back to work because they like their money all the time. Some people do, but most people are happier when they go back to work because they like yeah. what they do. So that was his mindset with chores and allowance. And I went, taking it. I'm yeah, doing that. Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's um, a good one. Yeah. So anyway, one thing that was I loved about um, mindset is that so my daughter's second grade teacher loved the book and had them do something early in the year about, you know, fixed versus growth. But the teacher had this big, huge eraser in her room in the classroom with a sign on it that said mistakes are a good thing because they allow you to learn. My daughter was like, great. I'm going to make mistakes all year. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a perfect message for a high achiever who has a ton of anxiety. Right. And my kid's like, oh, I can do that, man. <laughs> cool. I can do that. That was Isla would be like, all right on. I favorite know, teacher. classroom for me. <laughs> yeah, right. That's so, so cute. So I had to, like kind of intervene early. I'm like, no, no, no. It's not just the mistake. It's the learning and doing better. And she's like, oh. Oh, crap. Damn it. Dang. Well, thanks for coming and talking about this. I appreciate it. You got to come back again. We have that list of topics. We will. I know. I want to do the one on like triggers. Like anger, like having your kids push your buttons. Like why do they do it? I think that's a fun one. And, And why do you allow it to happen for yourself as an adult? It's hard to stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But let's come back and and talk about triggers because triggers, that Bert says to me all the time, uh, feel yourself before you start talking to Isla because she triggers me. Mm -hmm. She pushes Mm -hmm. a button and I go, blah. And I, Georgia doesn't do that. Uh, Kristen can help you with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Isla and I are, may have the same um, temperament. She's mm-hmm. very intense also. So intensity, intensity, mm-hmm. and we just butt heads. Whereas Georgia is always like, oh, okay. Right. I see what you mean. No, no problem. So let's talk about triggers next time. Great. Awesome. All right, I thanks. Also, Thank hey, you. the infant loss one, I have to tell you, yeah. so many people have like texted me, pulled me aside privately and said, that was amazing. Infant loss? So the infant, I mean. Me too. And I, I, I mean, I think it's such a raw, vulnerable subject that they aren't you know, posting it publicly necessarily. But I was here last week with my friend, Anne, who lost her two day old baby. And so we talked about that. And she's turned it into this powerful business where she, she, um, 
helps people who've gone through a similar loss generate announcements about their loss and tell their do story, things yeah. like that, tell their story, where when you're in that moment would be so difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such an amazing story that she turned something so tragic into something that help can help so many people. Wow. I love that. I've So many people have, so me, many. as well, at this barbecue, the same social worker was like, that one, I thought, I have nothing in common with this. I'm going to listen yep. to it anyway. But she said, I found things in there I could really relate well, to. Well, and I think the stuff about mm-hmm. which you know about, about like having a script in your head about what you're going to say, mm-hmm. like that was mm-hmm. so powerful. So, so many people who either had experienced infant loss or knew people who had experienced mm-hmm. infant loss. And it was at dinner last night with a girlfriend whose friend had a stillborn. And she, like she talked about, Oh crap, I hadn't thought about Mother's Day. I hadn't thought about reaching mm-hmm. out to her on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. So I'm anyway, so glad. I know it's so I mean, it's such a good feeling to have people come and say that was that was meaningful. Yeah. I'm so glad. And how's Anne feel? Good? I think it? good. I mean, it's funny, like we both I told her the first time I came on here. And every time I'm like I leave and I'm like, oh God, I said something so stupid. <laughs> and so <laughs> I hope I hope she doesn't mind me telling this story. Um, but she was like, I feel all I could see when I saw the podcast was that all of, all of the people that I went to high school with were going to look at me and be like, Anne got so fat. Oh my God. <laughs> and oh I laughed so hard. I was like, nobody's thinking that. Nobody's Anne. thinking nobody's that. Thinking that. Oh, no. And so we talked about, it. she was like, I'm just going to own that. And I was like, yeah, you should, you should just kind of like make a joke about that. <laughs> yes, but, she should. Because no one, if anybody did, they're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's what I mean, we're, we're all in our 40s. But I think, I mean, she, not I think everybody she looks felt, as great as you ladies do. Oh, you're so sweet. I think she felt great about it. It's just that, like, you know, the first time that you're on a podcast, you're like, oh, God, I'm a little sick to my stomach about what I may have said. Yeah. Well, I mean, the nature of this podcast, too, is is that a bit of babbling, which I like. And uh, so many people email me and they're like, I feel like I'm in the room with you in the conversation, which okay. is what I want because I learn better sometimes when it's not so... Um, Here's what we're learning today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today, we're going to learn a lesson about blah, blah, blah. When you can relate it to a personal experience or relate it to something that's happening, uh, it's easier to understand, or at least it is for me, if you tell me a story about something in your life and I go, oh, yeah, that happened in my yeah. life too. Mm-hmm. And even the infant loss, my friend um, my friend uh, had a disabled sister, older sister. And when she was pregnant with her first child, her mom kept going, you're going to, you need to, you know, get tested. You need to get tested, get tested, make sure everything's good. And she didn't because she was young enough that she didn't need to, had a perfectly healthy baby boy. And the mom called her after she had her son, who's George's age, and said, I'm so glad because having a disabled uh, child is, is, um, is terrible. It's really hard. It changes everything. How could it not? I mean, her sister is quite disabled. Um, but she said, I was listening to the infant loss, thinking about what would have happened for me if I had gotten that based on my mm-hmm. life as I grew up yeah. with a disabled yep. sister. Mm-hmm. What decision would I have made at that mm-hmm. time? And it just sucks me right into Anne's story and feeling like that could have been me. That could have been anybody. Anybody, yeah. And that builds compassion, right? Mm-hmm, Grows yeah. compassion and empathy with people and makes everybody feel not so lonely. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I loved yeah. that episode. So thanks. I loved it too. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for hooking me up with her. I love this one too. Yeah. And I love the next one about being triggered. Uh, <laughs> you know. So thank you, ladies. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.